Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Nicholas Mackay is an associate professor and certified professional coach working with individuals, teams and organisations all over the world to unlock their leadership potential and enhance the quality of educational practice. The director of Pursue, Nicholas specialises in executive leadership coaching and development with leaders across the education sector. He's the author of Always Coaching, a book on how to create a coaching culture in your school and his popular podcast, Inspiring Leadership, brings engaging stories from across the world of educational leadership and beyond. So, Nicholas, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alan. Lovely intro, and thank you, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Brilliant. Great to have you on. Great to have you on. Now, your career path, it's been rich and diverse. You started out as a professional musician, and then you entered teaching in the UK before going overseas in Japan, Egypt, China, and the US, where you became school principal and an ISI inspector. Tell our listeners, Nicholas, a little bit about that journey, please. Yeah, it sounds horrific, doesn't it, really? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was an interesting one. I was Before I went into music, going back a, a, long, a long time, I was heavily into sports and st- still am, really, but I had some operations on my knees. My knees kept dislocating when I, when I was younger. And uh, it's it a hereditary thing. My, my mother had it as well. So we had a high kneecap. So I couldn't play um, football, couldn't play rugby, did all these things. So I um, wanted to get my kind of teeth into something else around the age of 14, I think, probably. And went to school and I went to play the saxophone because the saxophone was, was cool, you know, and you're in a, you're in a jazz band and you could do all these things. Um, and they didn't have a saxophone and they gave me this, this case and it was, a, it was a bassoon and I hadn't got a clue what it was. None of my family musical, but I said, okay. So I took it home and tried to put it together. It took me about an hour to, to, to do that and um, started to play the bassoon. And part of that, um, which I really, really enjoyed more than actually practicing the bassoon was the social aspect of it. So it's playing in orchestras, playing in bands, those kind of things. And um, went on tours, played for the county music service um, and started singing in a choir, all, the, all these, these kind of things. We really enjoyed working with people and, and socialising and, all, and all, all the rest of it. So then I went to music college uh, as a bassoonist, um, which I never thought I'd do, um, and spent five years in, uh, in L- London, Trinity College of Music. I think it's changed now, gone down to Greenwich. Um, loved it. Again, more the social side, I think. Being in a room practising for hours every day wasn't really my, my kind of idea of fun at, at the time. Um, but really, really enjoyed it and started playing with orchestras. Went over to Macau and played with them for about four or five months, which again, really enjoyed. Then I went over to Bombay and played in the Bombay Chamber Orchestra. And I really enjoyed those trips. And I used to try and get a little add-ons to the trips to go and, to go and travel, do some backpacking either, either side of those. And really enjoyed going to India four or five times, meeting some great people. And as part of that, there was a, a lot of teaching going on. So in Macau, I was going into some of the local schools and doing woodwind uh, workshops 
as part of being in Bombay, I, I was doing some, some outreach work with, with street children, et cetera, and, uh, and do, doing some concerts. And in L- London as well, I was doing some teaching in, in the borough of Harrow. So I was going to different schools doing Perry teaching. So I got to the stage, a lot, maybe a lot of freelancers do, thinking, well, you know, do, do I want to kind of give my life to the bassoon and, and have this, this freelance lifestyle? Well, I don't know how much money's coming in every, every week and it's all a bit all up in the air. And I thought I've had quite a few years of this. So uh, so I stopped and then trained to be a teacher, a music teacher, and uh, started actually in uh, Yorkshire, West Yorkshire in Bradford, um, in a school, school in special measures, Queensbury High School. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's one of those schools where you, you get there and because uh, of all the mist, it's quite high. You can't see the entrance to the, to the school half the year, you know. So you don't actually know where you're going. And all the kids are coming out of the mist. It's, it's all a bit ethereal. Um, and then, then I went and taught at Brickhouse, Brickhouse High School and in, enjoyed that. And then I kind of still doing some traveling, seeing some colleagues abroad and I got the travel bug. So then I went overseas and taught in, in Japan, Egypt, China um, and the US. Came back to the UK as well as vice principal of an independent school down in Kent. Um, really, really enjoyed, went over to the dark side of administration, which I enjoyed, did an MBA at the same time, which is based in Bangkok, which I really loved, met some great people doing that. Um, and then to bring the kind of the story full circle, I suppose, is um, I, I kind of got a bit disillusioned with what I was doing. I was really in, in, enjoying the, the personal development, as I always have done, actually, and the coaching side of things. But it was the, the more that the financial side or, or the traveling I was doing from, from America, I was in Boston at the time, to Southeast Asia, to China to Central Asia, to Europe, to Russia. So I, I was just here, there and everywhere doing things. And I'm thinking, I've just had enough of this. Um, so I came to the UK. Um, so I got my coaching qualification in the US, about a year, year and a half diploma, then came to the UK, started my business pursue um, and started that, been working ever since with school leaders and people all, all over the world. And um, got a phone call from the University of Warwick. And they said, hi, Nick, we're thinking about starting a PGC international program. Do you want to come and develop it for us? That sounds quite interesting. Maybe I can make that work around look at the coaching and things, which, which I have done. And first day turned up, suits, shiny shoes, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. Had to wait three and a half hours for anyone else to turn up. Everyone was there kind of, you know, a bit more, bit more relaxed. Um, but I've really enjoyed the university side. So I've been working there now for four years, built the PGC International Programme, which, which is now going great guns. And also um, heavily involved in IQTS. So that's kind of one side, and again, coaching weaves its way through, through all of that. And then my business has just gone from strength to strength with with coaching and leadership development. So there, there you have it, Alan and Lewis. That's 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 the journey. That's where we're at. And, and you mentioned pursue there, and I know that today we're going to really focus our conversation around that idea of coaching. Tell us what pursue does and, and what coaching is, Nicholas. So pursue initially, I I really wanted to support school leaders. Because I thought there was a space there, um, in my experience, that um, you know people weren't being supported to do their role. Um, it was a very isolated job, as we all know. Um, and I just thought the role was changing from that of being just you know purely inward facing to a very outward facing role, multifaceted you know responsibilities. And I think there was a real niche there for for support. Um, with pursue, we, we do a couple of things. We do the one to one coaching. Which, which I would say, again, kind of alluding to my, to my book here a little bit, is kind of a fundamental domain. So it's one-to-one, um, potentially non-directive in nature, um, potentially framed around a coaching model. And it's supporting so someone in that safe space where, where they can kind of jostle with ideas and, and explore and move through challenges. 
We also do group coaching, um, and that is, say, a group of uh, heads of department in a school or phase leaders, shall we, shall we say, who don't have any collective responsibility um, in terms of producing or delivering something, but who all have you know, similar roles. And that is around things like action learning sets. So it's look, looking at taking times to coach each other, to have that collaboration, to unpick challenges and to jostle with things, to cement that collective understanding in, the, in, a, in a school. And then I also look at team coaching. Uh, where people do have a collective responsibility to deliver something. So they have an identity. So for example, a school leadership team, um, having a look around the mission, the values, how, how they're operating, how they're um, developing and how they're working with all the different people uh, that they come into contact with. So those are the kind of coaching things that I do. And you put those together, of course, for a coaching coach, which maybe, you know, I can go into a bit more, more detail in due course, but we also do leadership development packages. So I work with schools doing say year long development packages around developing your leadership skills, your leadership brand. And then again, you know, incorporating coaching into that as well. And the, uh, the, the interesting thing is I, I do work in mostly in education, but I also do some work outside of education. So a little bit in, in, in more the corporate sense, and looking at some more kind of professional sports now and um, and picking some of the transitions around players coming in and out of careers and injuries and those kind of things as well. And when you use that phrase coaching, Nicholas, what do you mean? Give us a, give us a, a definition of, of that phrase coaching. Again, there's lots of different definitions depending on what kind of coaching you're talking about. For me, it's a skillful dialogic um, partnership that's very experimental and reflective. And I think that encompasses a lot of different coaching models, whether it's a one-to-one group or, or team. Um, I think it's around learning. You know, a basic f- fundamental definition of coaching is learning rather than teaching. Um, and I think it depends on, on uh, again, which kind of domain you're talking about in, in coaching. It's very non-directive. So it's the person's bringing their troubles or their challenges, so we say, to, to the table. And they are the experts of their own challenges. And it's the coach's um, role to, to frame and to hold that space. I also kind of challenge against that a little bit now and say, you know, you know the, the kind of the, the fallacy of being impartial in any relationship. And if you can ever be non-directive, because you're, you're always bringing your own preconceived ideas to that. So I know there's this big kind of thing about in education, is it coaching where, you know, they have all the answers as a client or is it mentoring where you're the expert? I think sometimes it's about knowing that continuum and and actually settling maybe into a space that you can bring your own knowledge, but as long as you're not getting in in the way of someone's values um, and, you know, allowing them to move forward. But to get to that stage, I think being non-directive is a very, very good starting point. Yeah. I was just going to pick up on that, Nicholas. I I don't know if you've seen this book. It's called the the tyranny of words. We got recommended to us by a, a guest many months ago, and it's how people interpret the word coaching and the word mentoring. Everybody does have that preconceived idea, what you've just talked about. How do you deal with that, Nicholas? How, how, do, you, how do you set that out in terms of, like, this is coaching, this is mentoring, and, and, and my role in this is this? Do you know what I mean? Be, so it stops any preconceived ideas happening in the first place. Really, really good question. And I think just, just a, before that, one of the key things of coaching, which is always, always neglected, I find, is contracting. Okay. So when you first start coaching, you need to be having the conversations around the questions that you just asked, Alan. So what are we actually doing here? You know, do you want someone to come in who's an experienced head teacher to look after, say, someone new to a, to a headship because they've done all the things you know, that, that they're going to um, you know, experience? 
So for example, you know, someone on, on Twitter the, the other day put, I'm a new head, do you ha- does anyone have a COVID policy? Now, if you're a head teacher or someone in that, that role, you will naturally have been experiencing this over the last year and a half. So of course you'll be able to mentor and to give advice. A coach is some, can be a fantastic coach, but maybe they haven't been, maybe they're not even in education. So they wouldn't know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have a COVID policy at hand because they haven't you know, lived and breathed it. So I think with the coaching and mentoring, it's really important at the beginning of a relationship to ascertain exactly what this is about. Do they need this or do they need that? Right. Um, I, I think with mentoring, it is about giving advice. You are the expert. You've been there. You've lived and breathed it. You've seen it. You've done the T-shirt. Coaching um, is a lot more sort of non-directive. So you don't necessarily have needed to be in that person's shoes. And I, I, I remember I went to a conference. I forgot which, what it was now, but someone said about Barack Obama and it was, uh, it might've been David Clutter book. And he said, I couldn't mentor Barack Obama because I'd never been president of the US. He said, <laughs> but, but, he said, but I could coach him. Yeah, good. That's a really nice analogy. I like that. And I thought... Really nice. Yeah, spot on that. That just, yeah, just, 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 just cut, cuts to it. So I think it's really important that you ascertain what the person wants. The second thing, Aaron, is in education, we love a model. We love <laughs> solutions and we love, you know, getting across problems. Yeah. I would probably say at a certain point, does it matter? Because maybe, and again, this comes on to a different argument. Potentially, you could argue that the most, that the, you know, the best coaches need a bit of a background in this industry that they're coaching in. And there's definitely, you know, if I go and try and, and go to, a, you know, a C-suite business, they'll say, well, have you gone and, gone and done what we've, we've done? I'll probably say, no, not in the same way. So they wouldn't be interested. They won't get, you won't get in the, in the door. But I think in some respects, if you've got a background education, you're an education coach, if you've got the proper skills, the fundamental skills, and that kind of the, the, the way, way to coach and you've got experience and you've got the contracting in place, then maybe sometimes you're going to be coaching because that's what it needs. Other times, maybe you say, no, no, excuse me, I need, to, I need to butt in here because this is what some of the things that you need to be looking at doing or according to so-and-so, have a look at this or maybe try this book or have you looked at this opinion? And sometimes it's about going into that more mentoring role, but you, you, you just do it because that's what's needed at the time rather than saying, okay, I'm going to be a coach for the first 10 minutes, then I'm going to be a mentor for this, for this, little, this little bit. So I think it's about understanding the continuum and, and you know, what, what they are but then also having the flexibility and the agility within that to move through the different roles. So almost understanding that they're not two separate things. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a good question, Lewis. I suppose coming back to the contracting, if you want someone to be your mentor, then maybe that is a little bit different because if you want someone who's been there and done it and give you the policies and give you the things, and that's solely what, what you want that is a mentor. If you want someone maybe who's going to be looking at how you, um, you know, being less directive and how you're going to develop in your role, maybe that's a little bit of coaching. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm saying is you can have both in a relationship. Yeah. So, so it's very driven by the context. If I'm listening to you correctly, to be non-directive and to cl- have a clear shared perspective on what it is that you're trying to achieve together, but without letting your own knowledge and values influence that conversation and influence where that conversation goes, I think you almost said it that sometimes you're probably better not having the knowledge of actually what it is that the end product might look like so that you're in an easier position so you're not trying to impress upon the person that you're coaching exactly where you think this could go or what the potential to their um, question or, or what they're trying to pursue could be. 
Yeah, exactly right. And I think it's having an awareness of when you're stepping into certain ways of coaching. So if, if, you know, if, and we all do it, that's why I said about, you know, the the fallacy of being impartial, we'll all have our our own kind of, you know, preconceived ways of of doing things, but you've got to notice when potentially that you're doing that and to, and to, to come out of it. And also the key element of contracting. And, you know, if you are going to be giving someone advice, then, you know, ask permission, you know, how would you feel about me giving you a couple of ideas here? Well, actually, Nicholas, you know, at the moment, um, yeah, that'd be a really good idea. Okay, fantastic. So you're actually not saying do this, do that. You're actually giving things open and you're actually framing conversations because at some point in a coaching relationship, and we've, you know, we've all had it. Someone say, look, Nick, just tell me what to do. Stop asking me questions. I know what you're doing. It's been really coachy, you know, but I've got half an hour. I've got to get back. I've got a governor's meeting. Can we cut to the chase here, you know? So <clears throat> it's th- those kind of things about, okay, well, it's really interesting that you say that. So how would you want me to tell you about this? Let's see, you can get a bit too coachy sometimes. But that comes back to the contracting, re- re- revisiting. Well, actually, if I tell you what I think you should do, that's what we spoke about in the first session, wasn't it? That you didn't want me to do that. Yeah. So if you, you know, if what, what do you think I'm going to say to you if you ask me, what do you think you should do? It's a very typical coach thing rather than saying, right, okay. Or what, what would you do in this situation then? You know, what would you, what would you tell a friend to do? What would you tell me to do in this situation? But if you've contracted to say that actually they want the input, then you say, actually, Lewis, actually, Alan, do this, do this, or do this. Which one do you think? So would your default position there, Nicholas, to be able to try and give those options? I really like that idea to start with, of asking for permission to give advice. And then once you've asked for permission and you've received that, would, would, you, would your practice be generally to offer options and to offer different ideas of where this could go next? Or would you more often than not suggest something that you feel would be the right thing with the knowledge that you have of that person and the problem that they face? Again, it's, it's, it's very contextual, isn't it? I think my probably tendency, my default in coaching, it always has been to probably be on the more less directive way. And that comes back to, I suppose, linking to my background in teaching. You know, I, was re- I love workshops. And workshop is about actually get all teamwork. It's, it's getting the students to actually sort of work it out themselves and to stand back. And I think the key thing, actually, in a coaching relationship, it reminds me what you're saying, Lewis, actually, is around dialogue. Now, dialogue's different to conversation. Conversation, you probably know the outcome. Dialogue, you're actually going into the realms of actually, we don't know how this is going to end. You know, we don't know what the end goals of this is going to be. Now, we're always taught in basic coaching models, aren't we? That problem, solution, straight line. And there's no issue around that. That's always going to work. Well, there's some ways that's going to work. Other ways it's not. It gets more complex than that, doesn't it? So I suppose in terms of the teaching as well, I was always trying to talk to the students. Well, in, in, instead of me telling you this, say in a music work, we just like African drums, for example, you know, I'm actually going to model these things and we're going to organically try and work something out rather than me saying, you do the ostinato pattern there, you start there and you start there. Now, it may need me to be directive sometimes to kick this, kickstart things, but as your relationship builds with the students and the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the class, they'll start to take the lead with things and you can do things without being explicit. And I think that's very much aligns to a coaching uh, relationship. You know, things always change. And it's really, really key, going back to contracting, and I'm banging the drum on this, 
but that you come back and you revisit. So at the end of each session, I will have a review. Okay, so how did this session go for you? How did you feel when I challenged you? What would make you be feel a bit more challenged? Um, you know, when I said that, how did it make you feel? What should I do more of? What should I do less of? How helpful has this been? So you're kind of, you're always gauging that relationship with someone. In the same way, really, with teaching, you'd always do that kind of formative assessment, wouldn't you, to see actually where students are and where they are in the learning. Have you lost them? Has it been impactful, et cetera? Yeah, two massive takeaways on, on contracting and asking permission to give advice. I absolutely love that. And I, I certainly take that forward in, in, in my leadership, Nicholas. Thank you for sharing those. I just want to explore that in a bit more depth. And can you, can you have a coaching relationship without really knowing that person first? Or does that just happen organically as part of the coaching process? Again, really good question. There's some, um, you know, therapy, I think it's called single session therapy. And there's been some work, work, work done on that. And I've actually, it's awful. I've forgotten the, the name of the, um, the person who did some research on it, but I, I can give you an email around it. But they, they found out that actually having a single session, say an hour session, on its own, in isolation, can have real impact. So that you wouldn't know the person before the session of therapy. You probably wouldn't on the premise that you wouldn't have any more sessions and that still have some impact. So I think in coaching, we're always told you must have, say, 12 sessions. It must be done over a long period of time. And I think sometimes we have to challenge you, challenge that a little bit and say, well, actually, do we? Um, I would probably say, and again, if you put me on the spot, I think you build a relationship with somebody. I also think coaching is about making yourself redundant. And what sits underneath coaching really is self-responsibility. So if, if you're having to coach someone for five or six years over the same things, I'd probably ask the question is, is this going to, is it, you know, when do you kind of let go a little bit and say, right, we've done this. You really know the answers in a typical coaching way. You've got all the answers within you, you know, this. And I think what's really, what's really interesting with the people that I have for a longer period of time is to say, when they're in a situation, they'll say, what would Nick say? What would I say to Nick in this situation? So that they're, they're self-coaching rather than having to pick up the phone to me every five minutes and say, well, actually, Nick, I've got this and I've got this. What do you think I should do? So I think, yes, come back to your question. I, I think relationships are really, really important. Some people, a longer relationship works really, really well. Some people I say want it short and sharp and you could have a couple of sessions and that's all they need and off they go again. So you don't have to have that relationship before. With a caveat, again, this is a typical coaching training thing as well, is I think it's quite difficult to coach people that you're close to, friends, family, the people that you're working with. There's always power dynamics at play, isn't there? And especially in schools, the most political of places at the best of times. So I think it's, it's very difficult for, for, for someone, to, if you're coaching someone in, in a relationship, for them to truly open up if you've got that power dynamic at play, like a line manager, for example. And also, if you've got a friend, it's very, very difficult to be impartial if you know all the people who are linked to this issue and you've all, you, you know, you're going to have your own opinions on it because you're so close to it. Very, very difficult to do that and to stand back and support the person without getting involved yourself. So that's an interesting concept there because the coaching models uh, are promoted in schools. And, and Lewis, you said earlier, you, you've been going through coaching models. Now, we have close relationships with the people we work with. So then how do we, you're talking about power dynamics. 
is is a coaching model the right model to use then in schools if, if you're trying to develop relationships but you're suggesting that that doesn't work with power dynamics how does that work then nicholas yeah and i think it, again it depends on the coaching that you're doing yeah and i i would actually say and again maybe this is a bit bit, bit controversial but it's very difficult i probably know very few schools where you could have the head teacher say um coaching someone in their leadership team um, and the person, and again, it depends on the school, but I think generally here, the person, that leadership team feeling really, really having a psychological safety to open up about everything. Yeah. So if that's the case then, because there are paradigms at, at play and, that's, you know, there are some schools that you'd be able to, to do that and you've got great relationships with, with people, but I think it's, there are some paradigms at play between, you know, if you're line managing, if you're renewing people's contracts, if money comes at play, et cetera, how far do you open up? But then do you, how far do you need to open up? So maybe if it's like an instructional coaching, if you're looking at feedback using coaching methodology or coaching models to give feedback on lessons, that's, that's in a professional sense. You're not deep, taking a deep dive into the personal issues or the kind of deeper things that someone's talking about, and that's fine. The work that I do with head teachers, I would say nine times out of 10, the personal comes in pretty quickly because they don't have somebody in the school potentially who they can open up to about some of the things that they're going through, whether it's professionally and personally, where's their safe space. Do they go to the governors? It depends <laughs> on the relationship. Do, do they go in front of the staff and, and sort of and be really, really vulnerable about certain things? Well, maybe that's not professional to do that, or that maybe they don't want to do that. So how can they kind of engage in coaching if it's very, 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 di very difficult in that sense. So I think it depends on the nature of the coaching. If you're doing team coaching, so if I'm going into a school and, and looking at mission and how the, the, the team's working, again, if you get the head teacher, and again, generalizing here, but as, as an example, you get the head teacher to lead that, there's going to be some power dynamics at play because there's going to be certain things that people may not want to say to people. You know, how, how honest can you be with the head teacher when they're sitting next to you? <laughs> in, and in some schools, very honest, other schools, no. So if you get somebody from the outside coming to facilitate these things, it takes that out to play. And again, coming back to the contracting, what we said at Alan's is around about this is, OK, if we have some someone who wants to say something honest, that's going to potentially annoy someone in the senior team. How are we going to deal with that? What's that going to look like? How do you want that to be managed? And I think that that's that's really, really, you know, a nuanced way of coaching because you've got two, you know, lots of different people with different agendas coming together. So I think it's the nature of the coaching. You can use coaching methodology in teaching. You can use it in, in uh, performance development. You can use it across school and you can use it. You know, some people will feel very, very comfortable talking about certain things. Other people won't in school because that's just a job to them and they want to leave and they'll have a different life. So it's about gauging the purpose for why you're doing the coaching and also making it safe. So people don't feel that they need to kind of, as some people have said to me, kind of get on the couch with your line manager and spill, spill everything that's going on in your life, you know. Can you, as a coach, Nicholas, handle the, that emotional or personal side of it? So I suppose the, the, the question is, where's the line in terms of empathy between being professional and listening and coaching and then, you know, taking on other people's concerns and issues and that really bothering you as a coach? Because we're all human, you know, you seem a very empathetic person and there, there must be times that's been tough. Yeah, and it's the same same with head teachers, isn't it? I mean, I'll, I'll talk about head teachers first and come to Milos because heads are telling me all the time, I'm up to here with being empathetic. You know, I've kind of got to the end of it over the last year and a half. You know, I'm, I'm a really giving person, everything else, but I can't take on everyone's issues 
and function because it's starting to get on top of me. You know, I've got issues of my own and especially, you know, during the last year and a half with the lockdowns, all these kind of things, as we all know, it's been extremely difficult, especially internationally. People have been away from families. These, you know, it's been very, very difficult. So I think you can get to a certain stage where you all empathized out as people, as people tell me, I think with coaching, I think it's really beneficial for me to speak to somebody else. So I have a coach and I know that people who do, um, again, go back to therapy, I had a fantastic lady actually come into, she's a musical therapist and she came in to um, work with some music trainees a few years ago. And she was working in female prisons and in um, uh, hospitals as well with young kids, the music, musical therapy. And she says part of her job, she had to have, I think it was monthly touch bases with it, with another therapist because of the amount of stuff that you take on and you, and you don't realize. And I think sometimes as coaches, you, you don't realize the impact these things are having on you. So I think it's really good for you yourself to have a support system or a, a, a mental wealth system, whatever you want to, want, to, want to call it, of people that you can talk to, other coaches, um, maybe a networks, and just make, making sure that you've got the right people around you to have that space where you come out, reflect, jostle with some things that other coaches are going through and kind of talk through things. Because, again, over the last year and a half, I know a lot of coaches have found you know, there's been some quite deep and, and quite... Uh, um, you know, upset people that they're working with, understandably, and that can, you know, take its toll. Two things there, Nicholas. Empathised out, love that, love that phrase. And mental wealth system, not heard that one before. Really nice. Head teaching and leadership, I think, is a lonely place, isn't it? And I'm, I know Lewis and I on our different leadership paths, and we know head teachers very well within our schools. And yes, you're, you're entirely right. Who do they go to? Who are they? Who are their people that they can lay their problems at the door at? Because they have to be everybody's support network, don't they? And they have to be the all singing, all dancing. They have to be everything to everybody. So is it is it absolutely essential for us guys on that pathway to have a support network in place? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> If we, if we uh, don't have an external coach or we don't have the finance available to do that, give us some examples of who we could go to in these situations that they might not have the expertise, but you might be able to offload. I think it's finding a, a person that you're comfortable with, Alan, really. And I think that's different people, you know, different people for different people. So some people, and I know when I was in, in international, you know, and you, you guys know this very, very well, it's very, very close knit, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, the people that you work with, you're thrown together very quickly. They become a family. Now, there's good bits to that and there's bad bits to that. So I think it's about making sure that people that, you, that you're work, working with or you've got someone that you work with, you know, because head teachers get very stressed out. I would say, you know, teachers get stressed out in exactly the same way. We're all people. So I think as a teacher, if you're going through a difficult time, who in the school can you go to? You know, who, who can you, is it someone, is it a peer that you can talk to? Is it your head of department, you know, that you feel comfortable doing that? Is it somebody else? Is it maybe someone from a different school in the same city? You know, is it someone outside, uh, maybe a club that you've joined? Whatever it is, <clears throat> is it your family, your friends, whatever it is, to try and get someone that you feel comfortable with. On the flip side of that, I've also known people who are kind of, again, um, the designated person, they're not a coach, but everyone comes to them and offloads to them. And then they get dragged down with things as well. And they say, well, actually, you know, that's getting on top of me. I'm not employed to be a coach or anything else. And it, but everyone keeps coming to me because I listen. So I think there are times to say, you know, I really want to help. 
but now's not the right time. So how about you, you come back this time, you know, and I, I just need a bit of space. So it's about whoever you're comfortable with. If you haven't got an external coach that you can feel, you can have conversations with. Do you, do you think Nicholas, there's signs and symptoms of recognizing maybe when one of your leadership colleagues might need to go and have this offload or this designated person, or is it just on a very individual basis? Or would you even feel comfortable recommending that to a colleague? Or would they see that as a sign of weakness? Just trying to throw things out there from what's going on in my head at the moment. If, if, if I look, look at my own personal experience, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, you, you get two in the job. So I think anyone, if, if, if anyone's a telltale sign, as we all know, if you're getting to work early, if you're leaving really, really late, that some people that's fine and that's the way they are and that doesn't mean that they're stressed that's just the way that they are you know and i think we shouldn't try and say just because you're working late or early that you've got an issue because you know that's fine i think it's when people you're looking at the personality so are they still being you know chipper around the place are they still talking about things that that that, that they're doing in, in a way that's enthused you know are, are they going a little bit quiet aren't they talking about maybe things are they just kind of you know going into their shell a little bit so I think all the, you know, we're really good in schools looking for these things in students, you know, how many safeguarding stuff. And again, understandably, do we go on all the time about safeguarding, child protection, prevent training, all these things that we do in schools to, to notice signs in students. It's exactly the same in adults, exactly the same. You know, we're, we're all people. So I think you, you take the, those key elements that you look for in children around things like maybe neglect. People aren't dressing the way that, that they were. They're not maybe, I don't know. I suppose we're all unshaven here, aren't we? But maybe they, 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 they used to being clean shaven. Now they're unshaven. And, you know, maybe there's, they're not, um, so there's an odour around. All these things that you would do in students, I think it's, it's very um, emblematic of someone maybe not coping at that time. It, it's a really good point. And I, we have, I've just, it's just, we've done safeguarding training over the last couple of weeks, been back in school. Yeah, it's all about the kids. And yeah, we, we, we've all, probably been in schools where we've had staff that are in need of this and we put kids first as we should but yeah maybe they should be that network in there for the staff to have to have the same procedures in place i don't know about you lewis how do you what do you think about that safeguarding staff yeah well it makes sense doesn't it you know we're told all the time around looking after your well-being and and you know i I'm a big advocate for nobody else is responsible for your own well-being other than, than you yourself. Um, and, and all the people can do is to support and provide different tools, programs, opportunities for you to take or not to take. But nobody knows you as well as you do. And I, and I think trying to bring that to the fore and allow teachers to put themselves first and be in a position where if, if a teacher feels comfortable, that benefit is obviously going to be reaped by the students that they're leading. And I completely agree with, with Nicholas on that. You know, you, you can see that happening. You know, we've all seen it. You only need to take a photo of a teacher on day one of the term compared to the last day, don't you? <laughs> you know, and you can see that it happens. And we joke about it, but it, but it is a sad state of affairs because we know we throw ourselves into this job. We also know that we make mistakes and there's an, an emotional sort of chain that also will drag us down eventually. So it's just trying to find ways of doing that. And I th I think it leads on to a question for, for me, Nicholas, really, around obviously the context in, in terms of coaching is what's important here. And you're going to have lots of different conversations with people in different contexts. But do you find yourself giving out a similar piece of advice quite often? 
or are there a couple of things that you often do talk around in, in very similar ways, regardless of the person that you speak it's yeah it's it's a good good question Lewis. it's around awareness i remember i i, I look back at some of the f- photographs of me at the end of a term there's one particularly i was definitely head of a school in, in china and i look back at it now and i think you look you look awful you look ill you know and it's it I look had bags under my eyes <clears throat> i just looked drawn I was not in a good place. And you, know, you don't realise it when you're in it, do you? No one does because you, you're in it and it's the end of the term. And I remember just thinking, look, looking back, that's just awful. You know, absolutely awful. And you, you, you kind of think it's about awareness. So one thing that I think is a good idea, coming back to, sort of to, to coaching and how can, you know, what um, can help people is if you've got people that you're buddying up with in your, in your school at the beginning of a term, a good way to sort of start things using coaching is to sort of think, okay, over this term, what are some of the things that I need to do to enable me to be, uh, to, you know, teach, to come to work, to be a person in a, in a good way? What do I need? Now that's different for different people. So a, a lovely way of induction for me, I, I, I need to swim. I love swimming. It's, it's the only probably exercise that I, I do that I leave the pool. My body feels great, but my mind's completely clear. I can go in, into the gym. Doesn't don't never get that. I go cycling, never get that. For swimming, that's me. So I know when I'm in a good place, I'm swimming a couple of times a week. I'm doing a couple of miles a week. Now I can't always do that, and I don't get head up if I can't do it. But I know generally that's kind of one of the things that I need to do. I also am quite a creative person, so I know really that I need to be doing something creative, whether that's singing, whether that's playing the piano, whether that's writing. I, I'm not a massive writer to be honest, but something, something like that, using my hands and doing something. When I'm at my best, I'm doing something like that. I also like going out and watching rugby. So the Six Nations are some, something, meeting a couple of friends, having a couple of um, uh, nice pints of real ale, you know, it's brilliant. None, I of, that, that, none that, of that common lager stuff. The, 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 the <laughs> and I want a glass with a handle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I want a nice kind of, a nice kind of head in it about, you know, just over an inch, which in Yorkshire they'd send back, but I'm quite happy with that. But um so that, you know, I know these things, I, I know these things about me. So I think if you don't know the th- things that make you tick and that you need, that's up to you to unpick. So at the beginning of the year, you work with a buddy in your school, <clears throat> whoever it is, you could have, do some, use some coaching methodology. If you want to use a model, you can use a model. If you want to set some targets around it, I'm going to be swimming, say on average, twice a week over a month, whatever you want to, want to do, how sharp they are. And then throughout the term have you, you, you kind of touch bases so as part of a staff cpd have half an hour of that of those person getting together okay how are you doing in relation to the targets you set about going swimming twice a week well actually you know what nick i'm not I'm, I'm, i haven't done any okay so what do you think what you know what's stopping you from doing those oh, well actually you know maybe this 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 okay so how can we get around that and then reprioritizing because i think it's about being preventative and what we do all the time is we say we're going to do things. And this is why I think, you know, the, the days of a one day CPD are gone. They've been gone for a long time. When you do one thing at the beginning of the year, great ideas, fantastic. You never implement them because life gets in the way. And at the end of the year, or maybe two or three years down the line, you leave your office and you think, oh, that's a fantastic piece of CPD that I never, ever used. So it's about having that continuous, sustainable kind of touch basis with somebody. So, to come back to your, to your question, Lewis, it's about self-awareness, whether it's leadership in any form. Have the self-awareness at the beginning of the year or whenever, but as an example, at the beginning of the year, have your check your, your check-ins, see how you're doing, testing the, the, the temperature to keep you 
aware of the way that you're actually living. I, I absolutely love that. And I, I've just been doing inset in the last week and I wish I'd have heard that. I, I wish I could have <laughs> done a, a, a little session around that. But I think, as you just said, Ed, I think I'm going to build that into part of our wellbeing framework without a shadow of a doubt. It's almost like a personal non-negotiable. Mm. And we all have them. I know mine's very similar, Nicholas. I need to exercise. I need to have time to, to, to read books. I need to have time to just get out into fresh air and, and in with nature. But I, in the last week, I've done none of them things because I've been mm. trying to get a school, helping to get a school open. So and that, and that just made me reflect straight away on that. Absolutely. Just checking in points, someone checking up on me. And it, it's a brilliant takeaway again for this episode. What, what will be those key things? If I don't, if I continue to not do those things, what's going to happen to me? Well, just to come back to what you, what you said, Alan, first of all, everyone goes on about work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't believe any of that. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah, because what, you, what, what, you've, what you've just said, Alan, is, is typical of what I hear from, from, from people. So I came back, back to Lewis's question of things that I, that I hear from, from people, not just leaders, but people that, that, that I coach. Because they haven't done what they, like, what they would have liked to do in that week, they start to get stressed. Oh, I haven't got balance. Yeah. Okay, well, we're looking at this over the course of a longer period. So this week, your school started. Your focus is be on your work, understandably, because you need to get certain things in place. And that's okay, because that's, that's what is needed. Yeah. When things settle down a bit, maybe that will change a little bit. The, the issue comes is if you're operating as you're doing now for the next eight weeks. Yeah. So let's not stress ourselves out with having this kind of conversation. We have to have equilibrium all the time. Yeah, that's I think that's so true. And you, and you can use the same pattern, analogy, concept of balance if it comes to um, healthy eating, losing weight. You know, It's not about what you eat in one specific day. It's about consistency over the course of the year. And I think that brings it back towards that, that sort of idea of, of well-being being somebody's responsibility. I think that ties in really well with that idea of self-awareness and understanding what you need. And then understanding that, yes, you are accountable for that. I can see that sign of a balance head, you make it happen. Of course, no one else is, but there are going to be days where, you know, that plan goes out the window because it's just one of those days. There's going to be weeks like that. There might be a month like that every now and again, depending on what it is that's happening in your life at that time. And I think this makes the, the whole sort of coaching idea clearer to me in terms of you need that person to, to bounce ideas off and thoughts off just to keep that perspective and to keep that understanding of what the consistency is to you and to not get into that cycle where it is week after week after week, where it isn't being done, month after month after month, where it isn't being done. Yeah, I think that's sp spot on, Lewis. Totally agree with everything that you said there. I suppose to come back to your question now, and let me ask you a question. You know, what are some of the things like that you, you, you need in order to, to kind of be on top of things and to feel good? You, you mentioned the reading, you mentioned ac activities and you've been physical. Uh, yeah. Or, or, yeah. Reading exercise. I need to get out in, in outdoor, in, in nature, really. And it's funny because a lot of that will depend on where you live. I mean, we live in the desert and at the moment it's 45 degrees. So the outdoor stuff doesn't really happen until sort of October time. So you're almost have these pockets of time when you know you can go and get that and then you know you can get that in the summer when you can got the peak district on our doorstep so you sort of work in these chunks don't you and, and teachers in particular you're working in sort of six to eight week blocks 
And it's about having that, trying to get, being realistic and fitting in those exercise portions, as Louis said, when you can, and accepting that it might not happen this day because I am super busy and, and that's okay. But just having that awareness to bring it back to it and, and not moaning that I haven't done my exercise, I'm going to be a grumpy sod. <laughs> do, you, do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and I think that's really good for me to, to have heard that, to, to realise that I can't have it what I want all the time. I just have to deal with the situation that's in front of me. Or you get up earlier in the day and you go and do your exercise. Yeah, well, where's my other? I've got my other book here. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> he's off, he's off. We've this lost one. him. This one, The, the uh, Atomic Habits. I've just finished that. Um, I, I really had read it a while ago, but I really enjoyed reading that one. That, that's an interesting one. Second one, Nicholas, the 5am club. Oh, I like Robin Sharma, yeah. See, um, Alan, you've got all the answers here, mate. You just, you, just, <laughs> you, just, you just need a coach to be able to talk through it and work it out. Just to unlock it all. It's all in my brain, scrambled. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, Alan. I think you, you've just, you've answered your own question there, because you, you said yeah. if, you, if you didn't do those, you probably feel quite head up if you're not doing your exercise. Yeah. So you know, you, you know already what you need to be doing. If you can't do it for whatever day, then okay, that's fine. Don't give yourself a hard time. But also there needs to be a little bit of commitment, not to about you, Alan, but to, generally, if you want to be doing something, you've got to try maybe and, and prioritise certain things. And as teachers, again, you know, I never subscribed to this idea that you need to put students first when I was leading schools. I, just, I thought it was, it was always staff first for me. Because if you get the staff right and everything else and the culture comes and everyone's doing it, the students are going to have a great time. And the students are going to be looked after well. And what we don't want is people so tired that they start missing things and the whole thing, you know, sort of go, go, goes down. So I think it's really, really important that you kind of prioritise what you need to prioritise if you can. If you have a day off, that's, that's, that's fine. But, you know, don't put you on the back burner for everyone else. And I think if, going back to Lewis's question again, if it's say head teachers, the one thing that I hear all the time is I'm sacrificing myself for everyone else. I feel guilty if I put a free um, slot in my timetable, or if I say I'm not available, I feel guilty because I need to be there on it all the time. And it's like, well, that's why you, you can't get your job done. You know, open door policy. I so you know, it's all, you read all the books when I became, you know, in senior leadership, have the open door policy all the time. It's great. I, mean, I remember I was a vice principal down in Kent and I probably had a queue of 20 people outside my door all the time because I had an open door policy. Couldn't get anything done and I was getting stressed. It also told me, that things aren't right if I've got 20 people at my door all the time. So my door is always open unless it's closed. If it's closed, there's a good reason why it's closed. You know, and I think I needed that time to have some space to get my thoughts together. And I think head teachers and senior leaders, really, really common because they, they, they feel guilty for doing that. So they don't do that. And the upshot is everything gets on top of them. Yeah, I like that. The door is always open unless it's closed. Yeah, I, you do hear it. I've heard it many many times in my career that we've got an open door policy it's funny because one of my head teacher now Helen Olds who's been on the been on the podcast and she says yeah I've got an open door policy but you've got to get through my uh, PA first who was an absolute rottweiler so (laughs) (laughs) I quite like that one as well (laughs) but it's all around boundaries isn't it what you're talking about there Nicholas just creating those boundaries for yourself without feeling guilty or without feeling like you're letting other people down and would that be another reason why sharing those feelings with somebody else in something such as coaching would be really useful just to check yourself that you have those boundaries and that you are being reasonable 
Yeah, exactly right. And it, it comes back to what, what I said before, you know, it's about what do you need to be doing to make yourself, you know, be, be you really, you know, because we all know life's precocious, you know, we know teaching is an all encompassing thing, but it shouldn't be impacting you to a stage where you can't function any job really. There'll be times when it's maybe uber stressful, but then you come down again and it shouldn't be at that height all the time. And I think if you've got someone that you can talk to, if you've got, say, um, you know, little, you know, learning sets or coaching sets in your school where you can t- use coaching methodology, talk through things, have those touch bases so that you kind of have that awareness of where you are. I think that can be so beneficial. That doesn't have to be you talking about, OK, my wife, husband, partner's done this and done that, all these kinds. It doesn't have to be that. It can be something quite simple, you know leave it up to the person to, to, you know, to sort of talk about whatever they feel comfortable with. But I think if people are talking about those things, I think it's really important. The caveat again, and I know I'm going back and forth on a lot of these things. I remember doing some coaching training at a, at a school and we're talking about this. And one of the teachers stood up and she went, if we are all kind of offloading things, you're opening up so many cans of worms, so much emotion in a school. And I think the question was, how are you going to, you know, what's the danger of doing that? If you suddenly have everyone talking about their, their personal issues and everything else, she said, especially at the same time in a CPD, I said the roof could be lifted off the school. And I think it's about, again, how you kind of contract and manage that process. So, you know, maybe it takes a bit of scaffolding to want, you know, use a teaching term. These are some of the things that we want, you know, maybe that you could be talking about to start with. You know, so maybe you could be modeling some of the stuff. So you're starting off at small steps. So maybe it could be around, you've, you've got some feedback or there's a bit in the school workload. So maybe you want the coaching to start around how maybe some ideas or some issues around workload. Let's have a discussion here. Talk to the person, some coaching around workload. How do you go about doing that? Maybe some ways that you can improve some challenges so that it's not just an open kind of thing. It's like going to a class, isn't it? And asking an open-ended question to the whole class. You're going to get everyone shouting back. Sometimes we need to be kind of doing it in smaller chunks, especially when you're starting new initiatives. Yeah, I, I, I resonate. So I was just thinking about where you, where you, you have a meeting and you say, well, has anybody got anything to add? Uh, anybody, anything to add? <laughs> He's like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> or has anybody got any problems? Or have you got anybody got anything that you can help you with? It, it's, it's so open-ended. You just get bombarded with it. And maybe that bit of scaffolding would actually be better. Yeah, I, I fully agree. We, we're going to wind it down a bit now, Nicholas. We like to have some fun at the end with, with what we do. Um, my personal favourite is uh, three, three leaders in world history who you'd like to go out for a meal with and, and give us a bit of an insight of what you talk about. Would it be a coaching conversation from you? <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of these people who looks back at these kind of great world, world, world leaders, really, Alan. I suppose one one person who I've always thought was fantastic, and again, going back to my sporting thing, was Martin Johnson for rugby. Yeah. And you've always got that image of him lifting the World Cup. And I was lucky enough to um, meet him a couple of months ago. And it was a bit, I was a bit awestruck, you know, with him, really. And I don't know what I was expecting him to say when I said, hi, Martin, you know, nice to meet you. I, I don't know. I was expecting him to come out with some, I don't know, just something that would make, you know, send, send chills down my spine. He went, all right, mate, how you doing? <laughs> and that was, oh, great. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> brilliant. And I, but I was still, you know, in, in awe. 
I think the thing that I liked about him that resonated, and I, and I would love to have a, a chat with him, that he, he wasn't a massive talker. Mm. You know, he was one of these people that apparently from re re reading books that he was, he, you know, he never asked people to do something he didn't do himself. You know, he was hard and uncompromising and he was in the, in the midst of it doing what he needed to be doing. And I think that really re resonates with me. He wasn't in his ivory towers. He was right in the middle of the scrum. He was right in the middle of everything, a driving line out a mall, you know, to use some rugged terminology, but he's right in the middle of it. And I think <clears throat> he just had this, this kind of aura about him that he made people better. He made people feel safer. I remember Johnny Wilkinson said, you know, I felt safe walking on the pitch with him. And when someone has that, you know, making people feel safe and making people, you know, look up to them, I think without, do, without saying anything, I think that's fantastic lead leadership. Um, so that's something that, that comes to mind. I suppose that a similar person is, you know, Jurgen Klopp, isn't it? That's the kind of person that you'd probably like to like to be coached by in, in football. Gets the best team, not you know, not the most technical guy, as isn't admitted, but gets the best team around him and very very good em empathy. But one of the, the, the big um, kind of th things in my life, I remember my old music teacher, her name was Julie Shaw. And she had a massive impact on me, the way she kind of led music. And I think it was more, it's the aid or adage, isn't it? I don't remember a thing that she said. <laughs> yeah, but I remember how she made, made me feel. Yeah, brilliant. And she used to take, take the choirs everywhere. She used to give us so much, um, so much, um, autonomy you know we go okay she used to say well, i remember one of the things that she said because i was actually doing it you choose how we're going to be set up in the choir so you know you take the chairs out there you you, you know if you want to be there you know so she, essentially she was coaching where do you think you should be sitting in this kind of thing you know we're only kind of i don't know 12 11 12 and she had this wonderful warmth um but then she switched if she needed to switch into gay mode I just think that she she had this massive kind of you know I don't know I still think about her quite a lot now actually the older I the older I get the, the more I kind of think 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 about it so I'd have to have a meal with Martin Johnson I think someone like Julie Shaw an old teacher I would love to have a love to have a have a chat with. Um, you, have you ever been in touch with her again, Nicholas? It'd be an interesting conversation. I haven't actually no um, haven't and I know she used to work in in Botswana. Wow. So again, she, 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 she came back and maybe that was something else. She, she came back and we were learning all these different songs and, you know, she was getting us to move and things, you know, which at that age you hadn't quite got, you know, you didn't really care, did you? You know, you, you still kind of, you, you thought you had it still, you know, you, you were moving and grooving, you know, all, all, all together. And um, she brought maybe some different ideas which motivated us. So yeah, I'd love to have a chat with her because I'm sure that you know her travels and everything else would, would have had, would be really really interesting. The, the power of role models in school, eh, Lewis? Eh? Yeah. Unbelievable. And I like that that um, the story that you told there about that switch as well. From going from a real warm, fun person. You know, I think I can picture Mrs. Shaw. Um, yeah. And then to write game mode. Everybody knows what they're doing. Let's crack on it. And the power that that will have on a group of children to see that switch from feeling safe, warm, happy to, right, okay, now it's time to perform. And, and she's put us in a position where we felt safe, warm, and happy for long enough that when these short, sharp bursts of performance are required, we can do that. And we're going to do it for her. That's a, that's a really nice way of putting it. Um, I think that, sorry, Liz, I think that, that just comes back to, again, my 
my mother is, is from Scarborough. My grandmother was from Jarrow. Beautiful part. My, 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 well, yeah. my, my, my grandfather's from Scarborough. So there's a lot of family on that northeast coast. You know, my, my grandmother was brought, it was one of eight or nine. She was, you know, her mother died very young. She brought the family at the age of 12. You know, it was, it was hard. And I know there's a little bit of something of those things in, in, in me. And I, the older I get, the more I feel that, you know, I'm 43 now. And you're kind of thinking, well, let's have a look at my background a little bit more. You know, that you don't really care when you're younger. So I had to be careful when I'm coaching. Maybe that idea of, as you said, Julie Shaw switching and being right game face, that kind of appeals maybe to some side of me because that's my kind of background of maybe the way I've been brought up, some of my values, fairness, hard work, whatever it is, whatever it is for different people. Those are those preconceived ideas I bring to coaching sometimes. So I've sometimes, I, I've actually said to people, I don't think I'm the right coach for you because I, I just think that at this moment in time, you know, I, I kind of pride myself. You could drop me anywhere and I'd get on with people. And I think that's, that's you know, I pride myself on that's been my experience. When you've been internationally, you kind of learn to do that, don't you? Yeah. But I think sometimes it's the right person at the right time. In the same way, Julie Shaw was the right person for me when, when I was going into music. I'm not always the right person for, to coach someone at that point in time. And that comes right back around to the self-awareness that you mentioned earlier, of knowing yourself well enough and your history well enough. That really resonates with me, that sort of idea of, autoethnography, if you like, of um, at the minute I'm doing a lot of work researching, or I was over the summer researching, you know, my family tree and my, my family's roots and things, and, and that's just been absolutely eye-opening, wonderful, absolutely wonderful, mm. in, in just trying to trace back, how, how are you the person that you are, what, what made that, what was that journey like, and, and you know, even just with a, a small touch that I've done so far, the things that you find and, and read about and the people you connect with is just outstanding, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, Nicholas, last last one for uh, the uh, the quick fire questions. How do you cheer yourself up on the down days? What what's your go to thing? Um, exercise. I also like to watch um, things like uh, you know these. Um, it's just la laughing, isn't it? So it's connecting with people who make me laugh, and and also like outtakes. So I've been watching over the summer when I've been working and doing a little bit. So like Ricky Gervais outtakes and things like when things go wrong, you know, it's the real it's the real stuff, and just that just, you, that just tickles me. Even if you don't think the scene's very funny, Ricky Gervais gets so emotionally involved in his laughter, and he enjoys it so much, he can't help but laugh, can you? I watched, um, what was the one when he was, I thought, I thought it was fantastic in it. He was in this um, old people's home. Derek. Derek, yeah. that was it. And I was watching some outtakes of that. And I, I, the other week, actually, when I was having a bit of a down day, and that, that, that was just brilliant. I was crying with laughter. And after that, I was thought, okay, just get over yourself. And, it, you know, life's, life's not bad. You know, come on, let's get some clarity. And I was just got on with things. That's, that's it. it. A bit of beat on. Pour a bit of beat, beat K on and you can't just fail to lift your day. That, that's my goal. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very British British thing to do. And if you feel a bit down, put something on that'll make you laugh and get on with it. They're <laughs> only fools and horses. It's not like that. That's yeah, a great show. That would probably be my go-to if, if that was the case. Nicholas, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Uh, and I know that your book is out now. Um, do you want to spend a few minutes telling us about where that is, where people can find it and what, what that covers? Yeah, I'll just show it now. It's um, it's called Always Coaching. Um, and it's a little bit of a, a kind of, uh, well, first of all, it's about how to create a coaching culture in your school. 
Um, and it's the, the first part is, is a blueprint, a roadmap of how to do that. Um, as I mentioned before, through three domains, a fundamental domain, the systemic domain, and the transformative domain. And just giving you um, schools an idea, <clears throat> individuals or schools, about a bit of a structure to go towards a coaching culture, because we heard a lot about it, but I don't think that you know, there's much out there about how to do it. And it links really with my journey about how I've kind of gone about coaching from my, my background with teaching and everything else. So there's three domains. And then at the end, it talks about how you can create a coaching culture. And that's part one. And then part two is about a coaching way of teaching. So it's looking at formal, informal and non-formal learning paradigms and how coaching weaves its way around that. <clears throat> so drawing on part one and part two. Sorry, part three is a coaching way of leading. So again, drawing on those three um, coaching domains framed around um, awareness, relationships and agility um, to see how, you know, it's a coaching way of leading. So it's 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 a book that's that's for all teachers, school leaders to have a look at if they want to implement coaching in their setting. Super. And you can get it on Amazon through your website. Where, where else? Get it on uh, yeah, Amazon. Um, it's always coaching on a hard copy and Kindle. And you can also get it on my website, pursue.com, P-E-R-S-Y-O-U.com, where you can also find out more information on coaching and what I do. Fantastic. We'll also put a link to uh, Nicholas's book, Always Coaching, on our website, infinitelearners.com. So if you uh, can't find it, do go on there and we can, uh, we can make sure that you're linked into that. So Nicholas, thanks. Absolute pleasure to chat to you. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, have, a, have a wonderful time ahead and um, good luck with, uh, with all that comes with the book and everything that, that follows. Thanks, Lewis. And thanks, Alan. Really enjoyed speaking to you. Uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed the, the podcast. So best of luck with that going forward as well. Thank you for listening to Sensemakers, brought to you by the Infinite Learners Podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for school and worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com. And if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.